0: for 25% off your DNA test kit.
1: Cannabis is uniquely poised to set a lot of new standards. Controlled environmental agriculture has been proposed as a way to combat climate change, growing indoors, building local economies for all sorts of high value crops. is the canna mom show a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry your host joyce gerber mom lawyer political activist has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving
0: continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the
1: women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you so go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint to sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on the Mom Show with Joyce Gerber.
2: From the Tip O'Neill studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Mom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber.
0: Welcome back to the Camp Show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women, one can of story at a time. Hey Dave.
2: Hello, how are you?
0: Good, so um, happy International Women's Day.
2: Yes, I celebrate it as I do by recording women and trying to stay out of it as much as I can.
0: Excellent, well, I was gonna ask if you're doing anything special, but you're just doing what you do every day like we do.
2: <laughs> yes, I actually this is, I mean, this is one of three podcasts I'll record today where Women's Day is definitely part of the conversation. Dealing well, with all, dealing with a lot of uh, chicks today. That's what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. Well, we are more than half the world's population, but it's nice that we have a day, so it's good. All right, <laughs> So, but I, <laughs> I don't know what to say about yeah. that. I did something very insightful and some thought-provoking this morning. Part of this women's group, another women's group in Cambridge, and every Wednesday morning, this amazing woman named Laurie Linda organizes us and has a different topic. But today, we watched about 45 minutes of a new documentary. It's called the abortion talks it's by filmmakers sarah perkins and josh saber is this
2: is this the culture corner for the show joyce
0: i think this is this will be the culture corner oh so should we have some music yeah the culture corner
2: all right now now please continue telling us about
0: it so i film i'm using the word film the film Focuses on the secret no on the secret (laughs) talks between. (laughs) I could do the whole show in a British accent. Uh, The leaders from this is actually pretty serious. The leaders from opposing sides of the abortion debate, and I hope you probably remember this, in the aftermath of John Salvi's 1994 murder spree at two Brookline, Massachusetts clinics, right here.
2: I remember that distinctly. Yes, he, um, very disturbed man. Of course, he he tried to visit three abortion clinics. He, he got one and then he skipped over one and then hit the third and tragic.
0: But here's the magic part or the thing I didn't know about. So at that time, women leaders who are very on both sides of this issue, they met in secret for mm. years to find a way to have a civil discourse and change the trajectory of the violence, which obviously has changed here in Massachusetts because it's changed. Mm. And I, my brother literally lived across the street from one of those clinics and every morning, you know, they'd wake up and there'd be like people out there doing what they were doing. And yeah. these women leaders who had nothing, they had animosity. The one, of the Cardinal, a lot of, a lot of Catholic women in Boston. This is like a strong Catholic neighborhood. And then we had the pro-choice and they had to come across and discuss this for the, for the betterment of both their communities. And it's pretty powerful. It was pretty eye-opening. Like I think, it. So I got to check it out. That was my thing. All right. So it is not actually This is like a preview. So it wasn't actually available in theaters or online yet, but keep an eye out for it. So it's called the abortion talks. It was really powerful. And that was our culture corner today. But again, how does this relate to cannabis? Everything relates to cannabis. Having those conversations across difficult divisions is very is easier with cannabis because it's a peace pipe, people. No doubt. Literally Mm -hmm. a peace pipe literally peace pipe yeah. so and if the idea of civil society is important to you <laughs> it's important to me it does require us to extend ourselves into very uncomfortable spaces and to hear each other's stories and this is a documentary of a surprising change that happens when you hear each other and see each other as humans
2: very good yeah, well, well very you good. keep keeping that when it becomes available you, we need to alert our listeners so
0: i'll put it out there yep. but it it was like, I wasn't expecting that at eight in the morning on my coffee and this 45 minute documentary. And I live in Boston. I, I can see these characters walking around our neighborhoods who these ladies are. And again, these women were coming together. They had strong positions, but for the betterment of their community. And they were using this issue that could be very, which is very divisive now. They were using it to bring people together. And now men in power are using this issue specifically to divide us again. It's very frustrating as a woman leader. So that was my morning.
2: Yeah, more topical now than ever, unfortunately.
0: Mm, more yeah. topical now than ever. Yeah. All right, so back to happy things, because that's what mm. we like to talk about. We have a new segment, Canna Tourism.
2: Oh, now I got to come up with an intro for that.
0: What would that be? <laughs> All right, we'll think about we'll it a minute. Okay, so Danielle Simone Brand, she has been a guest on our show. She is the author of Weed Mom. So Weed Mom and Wind Hill Tours are teaming up to offer the 2023 Weed Mom Tour in Quindillo, Colombia.
2: <laughs> wow.
0: It's a boutique experience. It includes a five-night stay at a luxurious and private Finca, which is a traditional Colombian estate, three full meals a day plus snacks, airport pickup and drop-off, all the cannabis you can smoke, immersive in- immersive experiences include Cannabis Farm Tour and Tasting, Coffee Farm Tour and Tasting, Yoga, Massage, and More. If you are interested, treat yourself to this body, mind, spirit experience featuring cannabis, coffee, and community in a very most beautiful, or one of the most beautiful places on earth. Sound fun?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Sounds fun. So
0: ladies, anyone, I think it's couples too, but ladies, April 30th, May 5th. Those are the dates. If you want to go, look up when tours it'll be in the website obviously in my show notes and there's a code in there that you can get to use uh 50 off when you book so very look cool it up. Yeah. i know it's so exciting think they'll have pickleball are you a pickleball player
2: i've played it i enjoy it i just don't get to play it a whole lot but it is fun and it's uh much better for my knees than tennis or whatever
0: that is what I hear. I'm a tennis yeah. player, and I am a tennis snob. But people talk about it like as a kind sport, like as older, because a lot of older people play it who are actually very good athletes right. who are now using it because, like you said, it's kinder on your body. Mm.
2: So yeah. yeah, you'd be great at it, Joyce. You'd be, since you're a, a, a good tennis player, you'd, you'd probably dominate pickleball.
0: I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm freakishly snobby about my tennis. Tennis what? cannabis. I talk about that. All right. Uh- <laughs> mm. <laughs> All right. I'm not doing. Any more tourism? All right, I think we're here. All right, so we, before we begin, I just wanna let everyone know I'm excited. I've been following my stats. The Canamom Show now has listeners in every state in this union except Kentucky.
2: Wow. Well, that's fantastic news. And Kentucky, get your act together.
0: We're international. We actually have a following in Armenia.
2: How about that? Big in Armenia.
0: Strange. Cannabis in Armenia. All right. There we go. And that's my quick, my plant update. They're just getting a little bit bigger. They're like babies. You know, like exciting in the beginning. Now they're just like not getting that much bigger faster. But if you want to see them, they're on the, my Instagram. Mm, Very good. Mm. They were, I had to be away for a few days visiting Josh, but they survived without me. They were good. They're very grown up already. Mm. (laughs) All right. Today's guest, let's move on. So today's guest, as we say here in Boston is Wicked Smart. She's the owner of Rogue Micro LLC, combining her deep understanding of microbiology with cannabis. When I was reviewing her credentials in preparation for today's interview, I did start to feel a little bit intimidated, but here today to share her own cannabis story. But more importantly, to explain why it's so important to have scientists trained to understand the cannabis plant and what she's doing to add value to the emerging cannabis industry. Please welcome to the Cannamom Show, Tess Edom, speaking to us today from Colorado. Welcome.
1: Hey guys, so excited to be here. Welcome.
0: And you. Uh, this is, we are an audio audited podcast, but she's in a lab, which is wicked cool. So maybe we'll get a screenshot and like just <laughs> post it out there. So this is good. All right, so you're out there in Colorado. Let's just dig in. Just tell me a little bit about the business you're working on and let's just jump right in. There are some really big challenges and real risks in this industry. So maybe just go right there.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm a microbiologist by training, uh, and I work with cannabis cultivators and manufacturers to help them overcome microbial issues. So, on the cultivation side, the leading cause of compliance failures. Is usually microbial uh, contamination. And on the manufacturing side, to kind of get these manufacturers up to speed with good manufacturing practices, I help them get their hazard analysis together and work on all the documentation and preventive control so that they are preventively sidestepping any microbial challenges that come their way. And then which I just also- like, Which is
0: exactly just like good parenting. It's either prevent exactly. a problem <laughs> or fix a problem. All right, we get this, understand
1: Exactly, exactly. And then I also do research investigating airborne microbes and their bits and pieces, which can also be problematic in lots of indoor environments, including indoor agriculture, which cannabis is mainly grown inside. Mm -hmm. So I'm a nerd on every level.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We like that here. All right. So Big challenges. You're a woman. You're a young woman in this industry in Colorado. You're a scientist. We haven't really gone about like what your background is, but just what are some of the challenges you're sort of coming up against? And you're in a pretty established market for America. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in Colorado and just across the country there, I mean, one of the biggest challenges is that there's really no industry led quality standards or federal guidelines to help you know, usher the industry into a more mature market, like we see in other herbal medicinal products and foods and beverages and even pharmaceuticals. And so that has created kind of a vacuum where people kind of fill in with with their best guess and their best efforts and sometimes not so best efforts to overcome these challenges. And so that has been, I think, one of the biggest hurdles to overcome on a product quality, compliance and safety issue. That's, I mean, that's
0: like talking mean, about, again, parenting, like boundaries. Like the, we need some boundaries and people are going to try to do their best. Some people are, but some people aren't. So this idea that we can create an industry, a national industry, it's really going to be ethical. I don't know, functional. <laughs> we need some boundaries. So it's good that women like you are doing this and trying to set up standards. So when things get normalized, we can have something that looks positive. All right. So. And you're taking a risk too. coming. I've actually heard different I've interviewed different people in the science area who, because it's federally illegal, there's a lot of risk for scientists to even kind of get into this area. So what are some of the risks that are involved?
1: Yeah, so I mean, it's first of all, it's a schedule one drug. So it's right up there with all the bad stuff. It's even worse than methamphetamine. And I did a little bit of research on how meth affects the brain when I was a graduate student. And so that was actually easier to get your hands on than cannabis is for researchers. So just the act of doing research on the plant is very challenging for scientists. And so what you find is that most scientists, unless they have like overwhelming reason why they wanna study cannabis, will pursue other areas of research because it is such a challenge to uh, get their hands on the plant and get approvals. And so there's a lot of red tape when it comes to doing research on the plant mm-hmm. in the U.S. And then there's just the stigma that's associated with cannabis because it is federally illegal. And because for decades we were we were taught to be afraid of the plant. And, and so I think that that can sometimes deter scientists from being interested in asking uh, really important questions and trying to generate data to answer those questions. But over the last, I'd say three or four years that I've been in the cannabis industry, I have seen that more scientists are interested. The stigma is not as prevalent. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It's shifting. And I, I definitely, I think I read a survey the other day that said that Americans actually look more favorably on smoking cannabis over smoking cigarettes. So I was like, okay, that's a That's a push in the right direction. So all of those things kind of come together to really kind of the science is lagging behind what is going on in the market. So people are getting their hands on the product. They're growing it. They're selling it. They're formulating with it. The safety guidelines are still kind of up in the air. Every state's a little bit different. And the science is lagging even further behind all of that. So it's a challenge in the industry. But there is still good research going on uh, in the U.S. and definitely in other parts of the world where it's a little easier to do the research. That's interesting. All right, so it's kind of all the same challenges everyone has. You're just
0: <laughs> a bit, uh, it, again, it seems the idea that you're talking about this stigma is shifting. You can see it in your own science industry. My alley is really women and moms and people my age and older who are, you know, sometimes freaked out by what I do, but now are kind of coming around. It's it's changing. It's shifting, but it's so again, when I talk about cannabis, it's a science it's literally a science and it's not a belief system. <laughs> and right. whole new, And I talk about this with law. When I was getting into this industry, I was new law. This is a new industry. Like, so this is new science too, which is so exciting. And all these people who can come into it and actually study it and do it. I think that's so positive. So, all right. All right. So you're in the cannabis industry. Did you, what, what's the connection to Columbia care, New York? And what was that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I actually got my start in cannabis at Columbia Care in New York. I was the lab manager there in Rochester, New York. Just tell people what
0: Columbia Care is.
1: Columbia Care is an an MSO, a multi-state operator that operates, I think in like 16 or 17 different states. They're about to go through another merger. So I'm sure it will grow here. And so that was my first experience in the cannabis space was boots on the ground. You have deadlines to meet. You have new SKUs to get out. During that time, New York had really strict medical standards they've since loosened them to more recreational standards and we were they had just rolled out the allowing the sale of smokable flour although at the time they were like no you can only vaporize it Yeah, that so was you confusing, can but what, year? What, what, what year was that <laughs> that was in the year 2000 so about three years ago yeah and so 2020 the, yeah oh yeah 2020 oh man it might as well be Thank you so much. No, no, uh, dog, cannabis <laughs> ears. I say
0: this all the time. Cannabis ears are like <laughs> dog ears.
1: Yes, and I, I yeah. feel like I should sing the the Conan O'Brien in the year two thousand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so that's a big change, and I remember when the whole flour thing—I didn't quite understand that because I'm a Massachusetts. I'm like, "What do you mean you can't have flour? Yeah. is that the whole point yeah. of it?"
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, but they were only selling like medicinal products, so like tablets, tinctures, suppositories, lotions, things like that. So it was very medical, what is is so- interesting.
0: Okay, so can you back up on that? So that's yeah. interesting.
1: So we went right from,
0: uh, so the flour is really like the part that people understood and used, and it, New York went right to creating other products. Were those Perks. products tested? So is that how, yeah. how did they even know they worked? Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I mean, they were tested for their potency and all the other, uh, yeah. you know, list of 20, 30 different things that you have to test for in cannabis. But yeah, they started with formulated products. So everything was formulated and they were actually very strict about even gummies. When they first came out, they were chewable tablets and more on the medical side. So now, things so, actually, like can I, think, I can I ask you,
0: so who is making, yeah. that's so funny. It's like a funny policy decision and a, it's a plant. She's literally a plant and you decide the first thing you want to do is allow things that are manufactured. Right. It seems so weirdly right. backwards, who is fighting this policy? I'm so confused.
1: I don't know. That was established in <laughs> the mid teens, like in the 2014 or 2015, I think is when medical use became mm-hmm. legal in New York. I'd have to go back and double check. Yeah, no, but... I'm just,
0: okay. All right. So you start right, you start right in like it's like a pharmaceutical. You go right into like yes. kind of testing things like a, yes. and was it at that? So I work, I live in Cambridge. My husband does work for a pharmaceutical. So I kind of get this world. So was that what it was felt like when you walked into this job? Yeah,
1: it was very much that way. We still were growing plants, but we were extracting everything and formulating with that. So as far as the quality, It was very, it was very good, a very good experience to kind of get a taste of what pharma is like and manufacturing is like before we started introducing flour to the market. So very much medical to start with. And then we transitioned into a more medical slash rec market uh, during my time there and it was a very interesting time to be in New York and New York is still blowing up right now. So it's, it's evolving like crazy. I know that they're trying to get new licenses out there. People are transitioning from hemp into cannabis right now. So uh, a lot of growth happening in New York and they really do need it because there's, I think, what, 20 million New Yorkers and there were, last I checked, like 30 or 40 dispensaries. So not very many. The ratio there is... it's it's kind of concerning you can't just like in Colorado here I can walk down the street and see two or three dispensaries in my neighborhood so (laughs) yeah so yeah Uh it's very different in New York so I think that is going to be changing over the next few years
0: that's that's interesting all right so they're basically they were an MSO came in because was it vertical Mm -hmm. integration for medical in New York okay so they came Mm -hmm. in and then it's because Flour is still the most popular product at the dispensaries, which is so funny. Yeah. Okay. That's so weird. Okay. So that yeah, was but
1: new. Even in New York, then like yeah. when you go into a dispensary in New York, you had to have a licensed pharmacist on staff and they had to walk you through It was very medical, very much for medical patients to help guide them through and tailor their medication for their particular which is Which is am-
0: actually amazing. I mean, again, it we talked about this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Our yeah. pharmacists are, were so smart and I learned so much from them. And it was nice, too, because our manufacturing site was within walking distance of our dispensary. So I'd go over and talk to Stacey, our pharmacist, all the time about just random stuff in the field that was emerging. And she was always very insightful. And our other team of pharmacists were great to speak with as well.
0: How did these farmers get trained? How did they get trained? How did they even know what they were doing? Was- <laughs> I think
1: they're trained in a traditional... Yeah. And then they, and then they transition, mm-hmm.
0: they... Mm-hmm. They took additional just work to learn like about like how
1: scientists transition into the industry. I'm sure everyone's got their own unique story, but that's yeah. That's awesome. And,
0: so, and, yeah, they they under, have... and they actually understand how, because this is the biggest pushback I get from older people, is that they have a lot of medications and they want to know how right. the cannabis interacts. And mm-hmm. that is a big issue. You can't just, I go into a dispensary and the bud tender doesn't even know all the products. How would you right. expect them to understand how their drug interactions would work? So that's interesting.
1: That is um, one advantage to having a pharmacist on staff is that they will understand how certain drugs interact with each other. And there's still not a lot of data out there on how cannabis can interact with other drugs, but it does interfere it does interact with your liver enzymes. So definitely potential for those interactions. And so that's I'm not that kind of doctor. I'm the nerd mm-hmm. <laughs> micro kind of doctor, but our pharmacists definitely were savvy on that information.
0: I, I mean, the anecdotal information about people getting off of opiates and other pharmaceuticals is that somehow it reduces your need because the receptors are actually similar receptors and it's being displaced. I mean, I, I keep hearing people talking about this. So that think of how much study that, think of all of those jobs that we need of people doing that kind of yes. research. Wow. Scientist
1: de- scientists and medical professionals, Definitely. We need more of them in the industry. And I was very fortunate to, you know, get to interact with such highly skilled, smart people in that. I mean, there's smart people everywhere, but it's nice to have that medical training and background so that you can connect all the dots.
0: I know nothing about the human body. How am I supposed to tell people all this far? (laughs) Like literally. All right. Uh, (laughs) I just tell them what's out there. All right. So manufacturing. That's really a lot of with the microbiology, right? Because of the indoor growth and things that are coming. So just kind of explain what the kind of the challenges are, the manufacturing of this plant and what you're doing, or I don't know, I don't even understand what what you do, but what you're doing to make sure that it's, (laughs) It's safe and good. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So on the cultivation side, a lot of times these indoor grows are kind of uh, retrofitted buildings. So they're an old warehouse or an office building that somebody True. buys or procures and is converted into a basically indoor agriculture or it's also called controlled environment agriculture cea Mm -hmm. and and then there's also folks who do grow in greenhouses and hoop houses and outdoors as well but most of your kind of top shelf smokable flour is grown inside for all sorts of reasons you can control against pests to some extent control against weather so you're not smashing all your beautiful flower with hail
0: and you and the, i've yeah. been in i've been in some growth facilities here mm-hmm. in massachusetts they're very high tech it's like willy wonker i have to be wear a suit and
1: yes um, yeah. be
0: very clean and everything is separate all the rooms are separated so that was like really eye-opening so yeah
1: yeah yeah so when you go into a cultivation site you'll see there will usually be like a gowning area where you can cover up your clothes so you're not bringing in microbes from the outdoor environment you put booties on and things like that and then you'll have separate rooms where your plants will be in veg so that's the vegetative state so you want them to grow really rapidly and then you switch the light dark cycle on them and they'll start to I know that now
0: because i'm going my own Cause I am like, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and so you'll have separate flower rooms, separate dry cure rooms, separate packaging and, and processing rooms for the flower itself. And at every step in that pathway, there are potential places where microbes can sneak into your process and become problematic. And so what I do is I help cultivator really look at everything from good agricultural practices, good manufacturing practices standpoint. So looking at raw materials, I've, I've definitely, I say this all the time. I've suited it completely up in a Tyvek suit, put on gloves and booties, hairnet mask, but then no one's really looking at the cocoa or the, the growing substrate what's in the pots with the plants. Mm -hmm. And they're bringing that in And that contains all sorts of different pathogens and problematic microbes. I I know firsthand because I've tested it and then it's also in the literature that it can contain aspergillus and things like that. And so it's really about making sure that if you're putting in those safeties, you're being preventive by putting in the Tyvek suit, that you're also being preventive by making sure that what's in all of your raw materials, you have clean water to go into your plants, you have clean air and that your process is controlled and you're keeping an eye on those microbes because you cannot see them. You can't Mm -hmm. see microbes. They're too Mm -hmm. tiny and you, and you usually don't think they're a problem until they're a problem. So So, what,
0: so so what are some of the things that come up in what, what would do what would it do to the plant or what happens? What's yeah, the, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So so there's lots of different ways that microbes can be problematic. One, they can directly infect the plant. So there's microbes that will either go into the plant so that it goes into the vasculature. Plants kind of have veins like you and I do. They're a little different, but you know, nutrients and water flow through those veins and these microbes can actually get in there and spread throughout the plant and cause disease. And so some of the, like you might've heard of bud rot or fusarium, Those are different uh, microbes that can be pathogens. So that means they're microbes that cause disease Mm -hmm. to plants. And then there are microbes that just kind of hang out in the environment all the time. You see them in a lot of indoor environments. You develop allergies against them at home, but they can also be problematic after you harvest the plant. And now that plant is no longer alive. It can't defend itself. And these spoilage microbes can take over and start basically chewing it. "Mm, This is a yummy, delicious plant that no longer can defend it itself and they will take over and can be problematic in your post-harvest processes that's why Uh, the
0: drying and curing is has to be interesting yeah exactly yeah Yeah, so drying
1: and curing and making sure that you're not allowing an environment where those microbes can really thrive is super important so knowing so that the dryness is that the dryness right like yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah so microbes and And I know this too, because I I used to have a fermented foods company with my husband. You want to select for the microbes that are good, but prevent those microbes that are bad. So not all microbes are bad. Some microbes are used as beneficial microbes in facilities, but those can also come with little Trojan horses as well. And they can be contaminated with bad microbes or contain microbes that you didn't expect. In fact, there was a publication that just came out about that recently showing like only two out of 11 products that they tested actually contain the microbes that they said they did so there's lots of different ways these little microbes can come in and be problems and then there's also human pathogens that you have to worry about so those microbes that can cause disease to people and a lot of oh go ahead i know it's like
0: (laughs) it's like too much like it's this this little miniature (laughs) that's like going on but again like we're humans
1: humans have the same thing
0: and we are Mm -hmm. able to
1: keep ourselves healthy
0: by having Clean water and good air, exactly. and I mean exercise. I suppose in theory, and what other? I'm sure plants are similar. So there are ways that you're keeping these plants healthy, even though we know this whole world is sort of spinning around with things you can't see.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> you're right. It's exact parallel to to people. You want to make sure that just like you're drinking, you know, clean water at home, that your plants are getting clean water, that they're living in a clean environment, and that the good microbes that you're eating when you take your probiotic pill in the morning, you want to make sure. It's those probiotic microbes and not some other microbe you didn't want in there because that can cause problems. And so that's really what I do is I kind of help cultivators along that process identify those sources of contamination. And then for manufacturers who are making more traditional like food-like products to try to help them sort of be prepared for uh, future potential FDA oversight that is expected of other food products.
0: Oh, that's interesting. All right, so so anyone who doesn't know, what you can and cannot eat with cannabis and CBD is freakishly confusing because no one actually knows who's regulating it. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a strange thing. So I think in Massachusetts, we still can't have CBD in fruit. I can't remember anymore. I can't keep up. So one of the things is manufacturing. So if you're getting it from a flower, I mean, it's being extracted from a flower. I know there's other mm-hmm. ways to get these cannabinoids, but if basically if you're extracting, you want to make sure the flower is clean
1: mm-hmm. from that
0: point. And then the next process the manufacturing if it's not clean it could just concentrate some of the things that are bad absolutely and yeah so whatever so, you yeah. like all another mitigation make sure that like a step one make sure you're testing whatever comes in to make sure it's clean and you're not concentrating bad stuff and the next step is what just making sure the whole manufacturing process is the a clean whole system. process
1: so for every yeah. single product that you make as a manufacturer you'll probably have 20 or 50 different SKUs for different gummies and flavors and and lozenges and brownies and whatever else uh, manufacturer might be making, you basically have to go through the entire process step-by-step step and say, what are the biological risks? What are the chemical risks? Are these gonna be, Is am I gonna get contaminated product from my supplier? And so you have to vet your suppliers to make sure that all your material's coming in, don't have heavy metals in them or other things that could ping on those tests and then physical hazards. So if you're working with glassware or any metal on metal contact, mm-hmm. you can have little bits and pieces of stuff that end up in your product. And so for food manufacturers, these type of risk assessment and hazard analysis are required in commonplace in the cannabis industry, not so much, but that is kind of changing a little bit state by state. You're seeing more states start, start to sort of adopt these practices and and make you have these product safety plans. So it's kind of like a food safety plan. So I'm trained as a PCQ preventive controls qualified individual. So I can help folks basically go through their entire process and figure out where their different risks are coming in and put in those preventive controls to make sure that they're they're checking off that they heated their gummies to a certain... I mean, when you make gummies, that stuff gets really hot. So that's mm. going to be a good kill step. You're going to kill anything that's in there. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so you want to make sure that you're getting to a certain temperature for a certain time and you're keeping good records of all of those materials and that you're monitoring your environment for any potential pathogens that could be there that could get into your product. That's also usually required in most of these food safety plans. So, but again,
0: there's a whole, there's a whole other industry of people who could work in it and learn about Absolutely. it and create these products. And that it kind of comes back to the beginning. We don't have any boundaries. We don't have any federal boundaries. They're just like more of a framework. You know, I think of it in the law. You've sort of a framework. Like these are your like kind of frame that you're working within and you can do better. I mean, you can always do better, but these are sort of your minimum standards. Absolutely. And we need those sort of guardrails because I don't know, we have like a market. I don't know. We believe in like free market fundamentalism in this country. I can't even like go into that. But this idea that businesses are going to do all the right things without any government regulations is psychotic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and we know that they don't. I mean, before we had, you know, FDA oversight, people died all the time. I mean, people still get sick and and die from food poisoning and and allergens that are in their foods and things like that. And there's recalls still in the food industry. But decades ago, lots more people died. And again, it's not because people are necessarily doing anything malicious although that does happen sometimes it's just because there's they're not monitoring and controlling their process and taking on that uh, responsibility the way that they probably should and oh, so yeah. that's and i agree i think that there's tons of professionals from food from dietary supplements from even from pharma that are quality experts that are microbiologists that understand food safety and and all the crazy stuff you have to do for big pharma and they definitely need a place in cannabis and when the FDA does come in all of the competitors out there in big pharma and food and Bev who want to get in on that piece of the pie are going to have no problem hiring those professionals and bringing them in so it's good to get up to speed with that now so you're not playing catch up when it happens
0: it's it's everybody we need everyone all right let's kind of shift gears let's just talk about you so what <laughs> how did you well what was your connection to cannabis before you started working in this our self-proclaimed nerd girl so i don't know maybe you didn't use yeah it, maybe you did. and then how does your family kind of feel like this is this is what you're doing now what's it like
1: <laughs> uh, actually i i actually didn't i wasn't a regular user before i really got into the industry it it I used it occasionally when I was really stressed because it helped to calm my mind. I'm definitely one of those people who like, I'm trying to think of a million things all the time. and Did, and you, up, you,
0: did you grow up in Colorado? Were you there the whole time? No,
1: you... I, I grew up in Nebraska, but also okay. was in Rochester for grad school. So, Oh, so, oh
0: um, Nebraska probably wasn't like a big cannabis community. No, Nebraska community. would be like
1: the last state <laughs> that, that legalizes, I guarantee it. No, so it, there was a big stigma. I mean, growing up, I remember my high school boyfriend smoked and I got really mad at him. I was like, how dare you? And I was very much against it. I mean, I will still say high school, your brain's still developing. So you probably shouldn't be smoking all the time, but I was not a regular user and, but I saw its benefits. I saw how it helped me with anxiety. I saw other friends who had sleeping issues, more minor things. I'm not, I haven't, I haven't had anyone directly like have cancer or MS or anything and be treated with this, but it's a very therapeutic plant. And the more I learned about it and the more I was exposed to it. I realized that it was not this devil's lettuce that everyone was calling. So it it really opened my eyes and my mind to the therapeutic value. And then actually it's funny when I moved to Colorado the first time in 2014, I moved like my husband and I moved here like right in January of 2014 when Colorado legalized for recreational use. So everyone was like, oh, you're just moving to Colorado because you want to smoke weed. And I was like, actually it's for science, but the weed part is okay too. <laughs> it's, it's a
0: benefit. It's another benefit <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to the great outdoors and all the healthy people in Colorado.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's great to be out hiking and especially when you're just chilling for the evening, have a fire, you, you've gone, you've definitely done your your steps for the day got in your miles and now you just want to chill. Like, I think it's a perfect place for that. And I'm more of a, I'm more of an edible user. I don't particularly enjoy smoking, but I I like to formulate at home. My husband and I make a mean cannabis infused hot sauce. So it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> It's awesome. A tablespoon is 10 milligrams of THC. So we'll get distillate and I'll formulate at it home. He, it's his recipe for the hot sauce. And then I do all, all right, my food. husband's
0: like a hot sauce fanatic. We have like an entire, literally an entire shelf in our refrigerator for hot sauces. I mean, we'll be out of food, but we'll have beer and hot sauce. That's my life. <laughs>
1: yeah actually i i think that i i've heard of a couple other places making cannabis infused hot sauce but it's pretty rare and when when people get to try ours they're usually hooked oh that's so, funny all
0: right so you have a very it, active cannabis infused like so okay so but when you were like in nebraska what did your parents think of this were you part of like dare were you like one of those kids oh or? yeah i mean i oh, was not
1: into cannabis when i lived in nebraska no no okay so when you that said not...
0: <laughs> when you said mom and dad i'm moving to colorado and i'm going to start working cannabis were they like Yay, yeah, this is great.
1: Well, yeah, <laughs> I think my mom, she was, you know, we had had conversations. So after graduate school, she knew that when I was writing my dissertation, especially, and I was just like writing for 12 hours a day and couldn't sleep at night, I would use it to help kind of overcome that. I would talk to her about it. I was pretty transparent, but... I don't know if, if she's ever really like gotten on the cannabis train, but I've sent her some like CBD oil for, for like muscle cramps and relaxing and stuff. And she's really enjoyed it. So I, I really do think that the stigma has, has like, I don't get any gruff about it anymore. I think at first. At first I did. And like people were just like, oh, she's just a weed person. I'm like, no, I'm I'm not. I'm a manufacturer. I'm, uh, I'm again, working in manufacturing.
0: <laughs> you're, you're shifting the perspective for yourself and the people around you who love you, who are shifting it for the people around mm-hmm. them. So this is really what we're all doing. These like little, these little communities that are really changing hearts and minds with these stories. It's kind of exciting. All right. So active cannabis life. Let's talk <laughs> about your, your, again, cannabis it's a business. I keep hoping that the women across the country can build something that looks a little bit different. business. Again, I do think we are in a free market fundamentalist society that should be chained because we do need some government regulations to put boundaries, whatever. But I, my hope and dream is that we can build an industry that looks different that kind of is a, in the image of the plant, the caregiving plant. So I know you've talked a little bit when we talked last time about investment mentality and sustainability mm-hmm. and industry. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about like that and just in terms of like how you're running your own business or the people around you are working with you?
1: Yeah. So I think one of the biggest challenges in cannabis, just kind of taking a step back and looking broadly is that unlike other small businesses, you can't just go to the bank and get a small business loan. That's a real challenge, especially for underrepresented groups like women and people of color. It's it's really challenging. You have to go and find investors and those investors are going to have bottom lines and they aren't always going to jive with the people actually doing the work and cultivation, the consumer and what they want. And they don't always correlate with what you would expect in other manufacturing settings. A lot of these investors don't have experience with the plant, don't have experience in manufacturing. And so the the pull on a lot of these companies, especially cultivators that I work with, can, can really pull them in lots of different directions. So that I know is a challenge for a lot of folks, both on all sides of diversity and inclusion. And so that I see as a big challenge. And it, uh, until we can open up financing for owner operators and kind of more of your craft growers, I think that it's still gonna kind of be a race to the bottom in, a, in many different mm-hmm. ways, which is sort of unfortunate because people wanna see their ROIs, which I mm-hmm. didn't even know what that acronym stood for until I got into manufacturing. And I'm a scientist, we're full of acronyms, but wow. their return on investment has to be met. And so like, as far as what I feel like I can do in this space, is I do work, I work with cultivators and manufacturers. I am always giving away free advice, especially to women and other underrepresented groups. So if there are any women on this that want, that want like to hear from a micro nerd who can maybe help them get through some of their challenges, I would love to work with you. I'm, I'm always looking for folks to work with who don't have those resources and can't go out and just pace pay a consultant, you know, thousands of dollars to help them. So I, I try to do that. And then just trying to increase the visibility and, and promote lift up women around me. And I'm, I'm part of some po- other podcasts and other groups of really kick-ass women that I'm, I'm very, very fortunate to be part of those groups. So that's kind of where so I this, am. Right so, now. so
0: this idea that again, when I talk about the white man mentality, it's just right. kind of like this idea that business has to look a certain way, because this is the way these this been decided it should be. And you're saying we have a sustainability idea. We can mm-hmm. create generational wealth, make things that are healthier. Talk about caregiving. That's caregiving. That's like building building the industry in her image is by making something sustainable. So yeah, I don't know how Absolutely. you shift the narrative. I don't know how you convince people this is like a better idea, except you guys are all talking about it. So it's very hopeful. I find that. Yeah,
1: and <laughs> cannabis actually, a lot of people hate on it, but it's uniquely poised to really set a lot of new standards and and push the boundaries. Like, Controlled environmental agriculture has been proposed as a way to combat climate change, growing indoors, uh, building local economies, not just for cannabis, but for all sorts of high-value crops. And so as the world sort of... Uh, builds more sustainability, I think that cannabis cultivators and manufacturers will have that upper hand in that they've already gone through this. They've been doing this for years. They're going to have good practices established and they can lead the way not only in cannabis, but other commodities that are going to build that local, that local economy and local business. And I think that I, I really would like to see that future for cannabis
0: me too all right do i have time i have a little bit of time all right i have three more questions let's see science happens okay microbes i still don't really understand a microbe is what happens
1: when a (laughs) microbe combusts like why is that like Ah. is there an issue with that (laughs) this is a great question so there's really not a lot of research that's done on the combustion of microbes but i know i had this misconception when i first started in the industry like who cares what's on the plant like you're just gonna light it on fire and that's gonna kill everything right but it doesn't. So there's evidence in tobacco that microbes can survive combustion. And actually they'll design, like scientists are cool. They just like, they they design all these little contraptions, like these artificial lungs and stuff that will pull in like from the cigarette. And you can look and see what the actual combustion products are and stuff, but you can also look and see what microbes survive. So you plate them for viable microbes and you can also look at the DNA to see what kind of bits and pieces of those microbes and allergens and stuff can also transfer over. And so it's been demonstrating tobacco. There was a recent publication that just came out like a couple months ago from the FDA that showed that when you vaporize cannabis, that it basically does nothing to kill any microbes that are on there. So if you have really moldy cannabis or if your cannabis contains aspergillus, which is a type of mold or any other pathogens that could potentially be harmful, you are, if it's on the plant, you are gonna be breathing that in. And so it's really important to understand, you know, how that interacts with your lungs. A lot of what we know from a product safety standpoint is about how microbes interact when you eat them but when you breathe them in they can actually be more harmful depending on the type of microbe because your lungs don't have quite as many defenses as your stomach you have stomach acid we eat all sorts of random stuff so so it's really that's another area that's sort of lacking as far as what are, what are the true threats when you breathe in these microbes and not only the microbes but their little bits and pieces which can cause allergic, like allergic reactions can be linked to COPD and other types of lung inflammatory issues. And so that area is not very well studied, but there is a link to microbes and their contribution to all sorts of lung issues and smoking, not only tobacco, but cannabis as well.
0: Ooh, that's a lot. And again, like if you're, some people, you know, the vape is really something that's recommended because, again, some people are concerned about having the oils. They don't necessarily want to vape the oils. They might not like like I just don't really like the way edibles make me feel. So people aren't mm-hmm. really into edibles. Some people just literally don't like the way tinctures taste. I mean, there are a lot of other ways to get it into you. But one of the ways is to vape flour. Some of the medical professionals out here are saying it's you can figure out your dosage and it's cleaner and but you have to make yeah. sure that your product is clean. That's the kind of Absolutely. like where it, it, always, it always comes back to that one, the basic element of what you have. And if it's growing inside. Yeah, then and,
1: and yeah. that it's not. So even, even remediated cannabis, so cannabis that has previously failed for microbial contamination in most states can be treated with some type of microbial reduction treatment. Mm -hmm. The common ones are radiation, radio frequency. So they can be basically kind of tested back into safety, which you cannot do in food. Once you fail in food, you can't be like, let me just polish this up and feed it to somebody. You can't do that. So that's another thing to be cognizant of as a as a smoker or if you're, if you vape to ask if, if this product has been remediated. remediated. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these, well, they know, how do they know? So it, the, this is one thing that I think more transparency needs to be uh, out there for consumers because most states don't require that you label sometimes you can ask your bud tender and there may be information in their network if they have access to metric or BioTrack. track those are the systems that the states use to track these different cannabis products. Sometimes it's in there, but a lot of times your bud tender won't know. And so it's very frustrating for a consumer because you want to know that what you're smoking has not previously failed for something or been kind of treated in an effort so that it doesn't fail. But
0: I actually had a conversation with somebody from another state yesterday who was visiting dispensaries. And she said, I hear you can irradiate your your cannabis out here. And I'm like, what are you talking about? But
1: that's literally what she was talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's important because these, these treatments don't kill everything, which, I mean, I would argue that you don't necessarily need to, because some of these, these microbes are endogenous. They live on the plant, just like you and I have microbes living on us Mm -hmm. and inside of us. So do plants. So some of these microbes are not going to be harmful, but once you reach a certain threshold uh, or if certain microbes that we know are pathogens and are linked to to cannabis and to disease those we need to keep an eye on and make sure that we're not we're not smoking spoiled product essentially and we're not trying to recover spoiled product or contaminated product like that's. I mean really can you imagine like a like,
0: like milk that's sour and they just go oh god I can't think all right I'm running yeah. out of time all right so <laughs> Oh my God, this is crazy. That was a lot of information. I'm going to have nightmares tonight. What is happening next for you? I know you're out there in Colorado. Are you speaking anywhere? Are you traveling? And if our listeners are out there, they're scientists. I'm out here in Cambridge, lots of sciencey girls. Check in with her. How do my listeners connect with you if they want to get, you know, involved?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm just coming back from the Emerald Conference. That was last week. That's a science conference that is hosted every year in San Diego uh, by MJ Biz. It was great. Lots of cool stuff going on. Uh, it was really cool to hear. It's very science focused. So they don't let people come in and do pitch pitches for products and stuff, which sometimes people try to get away with in in this industry. But I, I went to a Harvard and my, they had a
0: Harvard um, science fair and I love it. That was awesome. it wasn't that big, but it was very science. It's very science focused. And they were doing studies and they're having actual academic lectures about this. So that's very exciting. The Emerald Cup. Yeah. Okay. Emerald. yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'm just coming back from that. There's a couple of things coming up in August, but mostly I'm I'm working with my cultivators. I, I have a partnership here at CU Boulder where I am right now. I'm in lab where I'm working with the environmental engineering department in the basically studying how microbes and bits and pieces get in the air and trying to find ways to mitigate those risks so and then follow me on instagram rogue micro or you can find me on linkedin and i'm always putting out little little things like today i i just posted something about new new antimicrobial compounds that have been identified that are made by little microbes the little bacteria but they fight molds and they can actually protect their little plant friends and these little these little uh, molecules that they make it's so funny. The scientists, they're like, these molecules kick so much ass. We're going to name them after Keanu Reeves. And so they're called Keanu myosins. And so I was like, that is so cool. So uh, yeah, check out my content there, but I'm always available. My website, RogueMicroLLC.com. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm up to. Reach out. It's awesome. All right. Science.
0: Like I say, everything in cannabis, we need everybody. We're kind of like the real world, but upside down. But if you are a person or a young person who is, I keep trying to encourage all of my young people, if you are interested in science and you're interested in cannabis, this is a field that needs you because there's so much work to be done. All right. Absolutely. Thank you, Tess. Oh, that was wonderful. Thank you for thank joining you guys. us today. Thanks for right. having me. <laughs> so, for my guests, Tess Edom, and of course my canna bro David Yaz, and our canna Mom Show team, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cannabis Mom Show, where we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and sharing all the amazing stories of the, world, the women building this new industry. So together we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Mom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi,
0: my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.